Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 98 of Impact Boom. My name is Rachel Stevens. I'm a contributing editor at Impact Boom, and I'm passionate about meeting and working with others who share our mutual drive for creating positive social impact. Today, we'll be speaking with Darrell Coleman, the namesake founder of DC Design, a social impact design firm that uses the design thinking process to address the world's biggest problems. In his journey as a designer, Darrell has collaborated with international nonprofits, large tech companies, and small businesses to create products and services that solve the problems they face. Trained in mechanical engineering and sustainable design, he's a two-time alumnus of Stanford University and its famous Institute of Design. He partners with diverse clients to help them successfully overcome challenges and capitalize on the opportunities before them. His clients include governments, foundations and nonprofits working to address challenges in the criminal justice and foster care systems, Syrian refugees designing solutions to challenges in refugee camps, students at Stanford University designing a more inclusive campus, and corporate executives from Sony, Oracle and Santander. He's an expert in multi-stakeholder, human-centered design and has been awarded the Jefferson Award for Public Service as a result of his work. He is also one of the subjects of the PBS documentary, Extreme by Design, which is used as a design thinking and teaching aid all over the world. On today's podcast, we'll discuss some of the positive social impact being created at DC Design. We'll explore some of the challenges faced by social entrepreneurs and how to tackle them. And Darrell will share with us some of his insights into using human-centered design and the design thinking process to create exciting and meaningful impact. Darrell, thank you so much for joining us. Excited to be here. Great. Thanks for having me. Uh, so you already have quite a history working with socially conscious and socially driven projects. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you found yourself following this path of social entrepreneurship? Sure, absolutely. When uh, I think I think for me to tell that story, it really uh, I have to start at the beginning, um, which is when I was a kid. So when I was a kid, I told my mom what I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, she said, "You know, what do you want to be?" I said, "I want to be an inventor." She said, how are you going to make money? I said, I'm going to have my own company that makes things and sells them. But the very next year, um, tragedy sort of struck my family. My brother was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. And I think that experience of, of seeing him diagnosed with cancer, go into remission, come out of remission, fight that, and then, and then he passed away when he was 14, that whole experience uh, and, and how it impacted me really opened my eyes to the challenges that we face as a society, the things that don't work as well as we say that they should work or uh, where the, the storybook ending doesn't work, you know, the way that it does on TV. And so I really began to focus my efforts on how do I create things that improve quality of life? How do I create things that, uh, to me, feel like they have meaning? And that led me down this path towards social entrepreneurship and learning more about human-centered design as a process that would aid in that, in that approach. 
Yeah, I can really see from your history and from your past why that's such an important thing for you to be able to create such impact. As we mentioned earlier, you're the founder and CEO of DC Design, which is part consultancy, part educational organization, uh, aimed at solving ambiguous problems in the world, as you guys put it. Could you please explain for our listeners more about what you and your team are doing there and what are some of the big drivers of this passion you so clearly have for social impact? Absolutely. So we're a design firm that creates strategies, products, and services to address social challenges. Um, Essentially, we're looking at the things that uh, keep people from rising, keep people from accomplishing what they want to accomplish in life. And often we're doing that by looking at the needs of those who've been left out of the current system, people who haven't been designed for. And so a lot of our focus is around issues that relate to criminal justice reform, for example, foster care, education, healthcare, all these are, are issues where there is a population that has been not designed for uh, and who doesn't, doesn't experience positive benefits when interacting with those systems. So we look at how do we use the design process to redesign those systems or redesign the things that come out of those systems so that people have a better chance to succeed in life. Yeah, fantastic. I'd love to hear a little bit more about some of the specific projects you guys have been working on at DC Design in recent years as well. Definitely. A couple of the big ones that I could talk about are, uh, one is a, is a big project on criminal justice reform. So we're working with a, a government in California and looking at their criminal justice system, thinking about how do they prepare for the next three years as they approach helping people transition from being in jail to being out of jail. So we're looking at jail reentry. And the way that we're doing that is really, I think, where our impacts come in or where our process comes in. And that is by talking with all the stakeholders in the county and looking at what is necessary in order to fill the gaps that currently exist. So if you really think about it, people go to jail right now. And there's not, it's not really a system of restoration. It's not a system of rehabilitation or a redemption in any way. It's actually just a system of punishment. Yeah. And so someone goes to jail, and if they're in jail for six months or they're in jail for three years, they come out six months or three years behind where they were before. But most often, when someone goes to jail, they've committed a crime. Uh, and most often, uh, that crime is the result of some set of environmental factors or, or some other circumstances that they have lives within. Um, What we're looking at is how do you address those environmental and circumstantial factors so that people have the opportunity to make different decisions down the line. Uh, Another project that we worked on recently was in the foster care space. We hosted the Hack Foster Care Summit, and that was really focused on, again, addressing these underlying challenges that keep foster youth from succeeding the way that they would want to in life. You've been getting some fantastic recognition for your program, Design the Future, uh, which is an intensive program for high school students who work to design solutions to real-world problems faced by individuals with physical disabilities. For you, what brought about this idea of bringing design thinking into the high school education system, and what do you see as some of the biggest benefits, I guess, for those involved? Yeah, so much of what we do is about helping people see the things that they couldn't see before, helping people see the challenges that exist in our society and what can be done about those? Living in Silicon Valley, I had the opportunity to be exposed to tons and tons of young people uh, in their teens and, and into their adult years who had a real ambition for affecting change in the world. They, they looked at these social challenges, the problems that I've just talked about and many others, 
and thought, what can I do about this? But when they looked around, they didn't have a lot of examples of how they go from having an idea to really creating an impact on society. So when we were you know, thinking about how we could make an impact on, on their lives and, and, and create educational experiences that would really start to tip the scales towards saying there are social issues that you can address right now and you can begin to make an impact on real people's lives, Design the Future was sort of born out of that. And, you know, also thought back to uh, experiences that I'd had designing for uh, an individual with a physical disability. And one of the big realizations for me in that experience was that there are always these friction points, even though many, many aspects of one's life might be designed well um, for this gentleman. Uh, we were designing a below the, the knee prosthetic that would help him get in and out of the shower. Uh, every other aspect of his life was was seemingly covered, but there was this friction point that still existed when he had to transition between one device and another. And so uh, what, what I ultimately realized in that process was that there are these friction points that we can address that begin to help people do the things that they really want to do in life. Yeah, for sure. Something I've heard you speak about before is uh, that it can be really hard, particularly for young people, to find an avenue to see where they can create their own impact as well and to feel like they can make that difference. So I think that would be something no doubt really inspiring about the program Design the Future is for those teenagers to be able to see the direct impact they're having. Absolutely. You know, the second aspect of it, the first was, you know, how can you see yourself as a part of the story of addressing these issues? The second is, you know, we want to take students from you can change the world, which is something that we tell high school students all around the world, to here's how you do that. And that one week experience in which high school students go from I've never created anything before, or some of them have, you know, been the heads of their robotics teams in high school, but they, they go from I've never created something for someone else before mm-hmm. to I've come to understand what that challenge is by meeting a real person who's my project partner and learning more about the challenges that they face specifically to coming up with ideas for those, checking in constantly, recognizing that they don't have all the answers. And then instead of sort of stopping there at the great lessons learned phase, we say, well, now you're going to make it. Now you're going to build this thing that you verified with your partner is real. And so we go from being you know, classroom teachers or, or guides to being shop TAs in many ways teaching people how to actually develop a product into something that someone can take home with them at the end of the program that will improve their life. That's really exciting. So at the Hack Foster Care Summit you mentioned earlier, you guys had to lead over 300 people towards designing solutions for real-world problems within the foster care system. Uh, As I understand, that wasn't a field you'd ever worked in before, nor had DC Design run something on such a big scale. How did you guys go about tackling such a complex topic on such a big scale? One of the things that we really think about and emphasize in the design process is that no one is an expert in everything. No one has all the answers in any one area. And in fact, we actually think it's a detriment to believe that you are fully the expert on on any one area. Absolutely. Um, of course, you can have tons of knowledge about that, whether it's you know, foster care or criminal justice or climate change. But to imagine that we have all the answers is to sort of disadvantage ourselves in actually addressing the actual issues. So we take that approach and we looked at the Hack Foster Care Summit and we said, this is not a space that we've ever been in. This is not a 
challenge that we've ever worked on, but we do have a skill set that we know we can use for the benefit of others. And in that skill set, one of the things that we're constantly saying is we are not the expert necessarily, but someone else is. And we embrace a concept called co-design, where it really comes down to those who have lived with a given challenge, they are the experts on what it's like for them to go through that challenge, that issue. But we come into this with a set of design perspectives and a design philosophy as well, a framework that can help take those experiences that other people have had and turn those into ideas and prototypes that can actually be tested out in the real world and acted on. So that was one of the big mindset pieces that we had to put in place in order to run the Hack Foster Care Summit. And it, it, it was a really exciting experience. Uh, that's great to hear. I understand why that co-design is so important because you need so many different perspectives, so many different backgrounds, so many experiences to gain one holistic and appropriate solution. So it makes a lot of sense. I understand that human-centered design and the design thinking process are both really at the heart of who and what DC design is. It's also a big part of all your workshops and teachings. Since you've worked with such a broad spectrum of organizations, for-profit, non-for-profit, governmental, and it goes on, how do you see these tools utilized differently within such a range of organizations? Yeah, I think it really comes down to what an organization needs more than the sector that they're in. So there are organizations that are directly serving end users. And in those instances, a lot of the work that we do is around helping them better understand the needs of those end users specifically. What are the things that the people that they're trying to serve are thinking, are feeling? What are the solutions that those people have already come up with? What are the pain points that haven't really been highlighted? What are the different ways of framing those pain points? Uh, so that we can actually take action on them. There are other organizations, though, that are, you know, one step removed from that, and they're more on a systems level. In those instances, we actually do a merger of using human-centered design and a concept called systems thinking, where we start to map out ecosystems, and we look at the system as a whole. Who are the different stakeholders that come into play that can influence whether something that you put forward, some sort of solution or idea, will succeed or will fail? A lot of times what we find is that the thing that keeps an idea from succeeding is that we haven't fully included the people who have the ability to help it succeed or make it fail. And so we make sure that we identify those things with organizations as well. Yeah, a good approach to uh, deal with such a diverse group of problems and organizations for sure. In your experience from working in areas like health, the justice system, disability design, education, the list goes on. When you think back on the projects you've worked on, what are some of the main challenges you typically experience and how do you work around them? First and foremost, all of these problems are social problems, which ultimately means that they come down to how people relate to one another. That is both true in how we've designed the systems themselves to affect people, but it's also true about those who are working within the system those who work within one given organization trying to work together with competing ideas for what should be done next. So some of the big challenges that we face um, is, you know, getting various stakeholders aligned and believing in the same process. 
The way that we do that is by speaking with a large swath of them, people from various perspectives, and trying to find the underlying points of connection between their viewpoints. That's a tactic that we use both for addressing the challenges specifically, so issues that someone who has been to jail is facing and trying to get back on their feet, but also we use that process to address conflict between teams. So we see team conflict arise often as a result of this process, and it's our job to sort of come in and help mitigate that as well. You're so involved with the uh, business and social entrepreneurial kind of world, I suppose. I'd be really curious to hear uh, what other local or global initiatives you've come across that you think are tackling these really wicked design problems and providing sustainable social or environmental benefits. Yeah, I think there are there are quite a few. One of the things that we face as an organization is we're constantly evaluating how how we think this process should go. Who do we think is doing this work well and who's not doing this work well? It's sort of an ongoing question for us is, you know, who who are the organizations that we feel most aligned with on the global scene that are doing this sort of work? Uh, and a lot of times what it seems to come down to is that there are initiatives within within an organization that do follow these practices, uh, and then there are others that, that don't seem to, um, which is my, my most... <laughs> that's my, my best answer to that question. No, that's perfect. It, it leads well into my uh, next question anyway. So on the topic of organizations creating positive social impact, I think one of the hardest things to do is to to measure that impact. Do you have any strategies or anything that you think is the best way to measure the social impact of your own business or of another growing business as well? There are a few ways that we think about measuring impact. One is always to go for hard numbers where possible. So, you know, before starting any project, really thinking, what are the numbers that we're trying to affect and change? What are the things that we're going to measure? Sometimes that means that in the midst of creating a project, we actually discover that we need to redefine what the tools for assessment are. So, uh, you know, a recent example of that is on this criminal justice project, really looking at how recidivism is defined. How do we define people going back to jail? Is that really the measure of success or are there other measures as well around housing stability or increases in housing stability, length of time between relapsing, you know, when using drugs, things like that that can be measured as indicators of success also. Um, so that's, that's definitely one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is uh, something that we call uncommon measures. So uncommon measures are looking at the things that you don't typically measure as indicators of increased success in a certain area. And a lot of times these are qualitative measures, which is one of the challenges between them. But there are often numbers that can be applied to them too. So one example might be thinking about education. For example, if there's someone who's looking to redesign how their school culture functions, they want to change how students view themselves in their school, they want to help students see themselves as leaders and have a greater voice and impact. An uncommon measure of that might be uh, seeing students argue in the hallway about ideas right, when they weren't doing that before. Or more students participating in class overall might be an uncommon measure of success in those areas. So we're constantly thinking about how do we define both the quantitative measures that are more traditional as well as the qualitative measures that we often take for granted. Yeah, I think it's so important to have both as well. Very good tactics for measuring measuring that impact, I think. 
So since the beginning of DC Design, you've no doubt seen a lot of growth uh, and I'm sure you've had to learn a lot and use a lot of different strategies along the way. Are there any particular business or design tools that have proven to be really invaluable in the development on the daily running of your business? There are a few. One thing that is particular to our business and I think is becoming more and more true, though, of businesses as we move forward in time is that we are largely a distributed team. So we work remotely a lot. Uh, we come together whenever we're doing major strategy sessions, you know, working on something for a specific client or when we're meeting with that client specifically. So we have these really intense periods where we're together, but we have a lot of times when we're apart. And so uh, for us, really early on and, and even you know through to now, the Google Suite, Google Drive, and, and other software in that and that family have been really helpful for keeping us all on the same page, allowing us to you know, co-edit documents together and work on things from a distance. We use a lot of Illustrator and sometimes Photoshop in our work as well as we you know, sort of lay out frameworks or, or different designs overall because a lot of our work is helping a client see the things in a different way than they may have seen them before. So that means taking abstract information and making it into a visual of some sort. Um, mapping out an ecosystem means actually putting it on paper so you can see where all the linkages are between your organization and, and another. Uh, and then we also have different tools that we use depending on the type of project we're working on. We are a solution agnostic firm. So we're we're not interested in necessarily just being a product firm or a services firm or, or a strategy firm. We're interested in saying, what is the thing that needs to be done to address the challenge at hand? And you know, so if we're developing an app, for example, uh, we might use Just in Mind to sort of map out how the, the wireframes work. It really just depends on the type of project that we're working on. Yeah, of course. No, there's some, uh, some great tools I'm sure our listeners will love using if they're not already using them. So what advice would you give to the budding social innovators or even those who are currently just within a large organization listening uh, who have an idea but need to take action to expand or create a greater impact? First thing I would say is that you absolutely can begin to make an impact on the vast majority of, of problems and challenges in the world from you know, human trafficking to climate change. There are ways to get involved in these issues. I think a lot of times just knowing that that's possible is one of the biggest hurdles. Uh, the second would be that every major impact or almost every major impact starts off small before it's big. If you really look at impactful organizations, usually what they do is they do a series of small impacts really well over and over again. And they might scale that up to thousands of people or millions of people, but ultimately they are delivering water to one person repeatedly so that all sorts of people end up with water. And so I would encourage anyone who's really thinking about, you know, getting into the space of social impact or, or who's already there and, and thinking about how do you really get started to, to think about what is the smallest version of an action that you can take on the issue that you're interested in addressing and begin from there. Great. That's some really, I think, inspiring and real-world advice. So that's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, actually, I'll back up on the last question. The other thing is that we actually have an online course that we've just launched. Right now, it's in beta, and we're working with past students that we've worked with to sort of help them go from idea to impact. It's part of our Design the Future program. And uh, so for anyone who's interested in, in learning more of these skills or being walked through that process in a five-week online program, 
you can sign up uh, on our website to learn more about that if you just sign up for our newsletter. I'll make sure to put a link in the article as well so it's easy for people to find. To finish off, could you please recommend a few great books you think would inspire our listeners? Absolutely. One thing that I really believe in is that social impact is a part of a larger ecosystem. Sometimes we like to separate ourselves off and only focus on books, for example, that would teach us about social impact. But I think books about business, books about life, books about uh, who we are as people are some of the most inspiring to me to really understand how to do the work that I do better. And so a few that come to mind, one is my favorite book, which is The Alchemist. Um, I just love the sort of aspirational and inspirational tone of the book, as well as the bit of magical realism to it. So that's definitely one I would check out. Uh, another one that I'm you know, currently revisiting is The Greatest Salesman in the World, which sounds a little bit uh, aggressive as a title, but is actually more of a book on how we overcome challenges whenever things aren't easy. And so I think that's a really great book, too. Good to Great is a really good book, another business book, but it, it really helps to highlight some of the characteristics of you know creating impact that exceeds beyond the expectations of, of those that are around us. And then one more book uh, that I might throw in there would be another strategy book, Blue Ocean Strategy, which really looks at how do you go from competing with other people for, you know, the scraps of what's been left behind and, and fighting over uh, those that you want to affect or, or the type of impact you want to make, really start to think a little bit broader uh, in a way that lets you move out into spaces that other people aren't really inhabiting, but it would be necessary for us to be there. Great. Plenty to keep uh, our listeners busy. Thank you for that. Terrell, thank you so much for sharing your time and your valuable experiences with us today. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.